Uh, we are uh, preaching through the Gospel of Luke. We've been here for months, and we have, oh, probably, you know, another year to go. Um, you think that's a joke? <laughs> it wasn't a joke. Um, we are in Luke chapter 8, so if you have a Bible or a device in which you're going to try to stay focused on the Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, that's where we'll be studying from today, and we'll be reading verses 4 through 18. So Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in the seats uh, in front of you, and that's uh, available for your use, and it's available for you to take home if you don't have a Bible at home that you can read. Well, after uh, the service today, uh, rather than have our normal education hour, we are actually going to be having one of our quarterly prayer Sundays. So three or four times a year, um, we cancel Sunday school so that we can gather together as a church and pray. Um, usually there is a theme for the day, but then there's also just this sweet time normally of sharing um, prayer requests. Um, sometimes there are tears, and this is a safe place for that to happen because we love each other and we pray for one another. Uh, but today we will be um, in rooms 101 which is in the hallway in the gym across from the restrooms. Uh, we'll be in the college room in the gym, which is in and around the corner and has couches. And uh, we'll also be uh, here in the prayer room. Uh, those are our three rooms for prayer today. So we'd invite you to stick around and to gather. In fact, I would invite you to go to a different room than you normally go to and pray with other people. So high school and junior hires got shut down because I closed their room, so they have to mingle so you older people need to uh, welcome them in, and we'll, have, we'll diversify for prayer today. I said older. That was not a shot at anybody, John. Um, <laughs> so that's what we'll be doing uh, today after the sermon. Would you please stand with me as a way to honor the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 8? I'll be reading verses 4 through 18. This is the Word of God. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given." And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We've sung about it. We have sung of how it is um, going to last far beyond um, our little existence. Lord, the, the grass fades, the flowers fade. We will fade, uh, but your word will stand forever. We stand on the shoulders of those who believed as we do. They are gone, but your word is still here. Your word is transforming lives. Your word is transforming this church. So God, today we're asking um, not for ability to do what we can't do. We're asking you to do what you are more than capable of doing. 
We're asking that you would open eyes, that you would open ears, Lord, that people would hear, that we would hear what you have to say to us, that we would be receptive to your word, or that we would be challenged from this text, that we would think of what Jesus was saying, um, not as something that happened 2,000 years ago, and it's kind of nice to look at every once in a while, but that we would see that Jesus is speaking to us this morning. So God, go with us and guide us, help us to put this into practice this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the sermon is entitled, Listen Carefully. I thought I'd get that out of the way at the beginning of the sermon. So um, that now you can, you're free to take your nap. But if you stay awake, um, hopefully what you will hear today is something that if you've been in the church for any period of time, you've probably heard before. Um, but if, perhaps not if you've not been around the church long. But this is a, a parable that is well known. But I want us to look at it carefully, to listen to it, to be humble enough to think that, that even if we've studied this many times, that perhaps there's something more for us to learn and to apply to our lives. You know, I, I thought about listening. I thought about hearing. Um, I'm a, a parent with three little ones, and um, we talk about listening a lot. <laughs> we talk about hearing a lot. Um, and I, I thought about that, and I thought, well, don't use the parenting metaphor because all the parents, all the non-parents will get mad at me for not including them. And so I, decided, I thought, you know what? Our whole life is, is predicated on hearing. I, I thought this week as I was driving, um, I like listening to podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. And um, I have the one earbud in in the car because I don't have the connection in my car yet. Um, and sometimes I just kind of get freaked out that there's a siren that I'm missing. That I, 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 there's a siren. Someone's going to be right, but trucks me right behind me. The cops me right behind me. And I wasn't listening. I didn't hear. Um, and I just thought about the, the issues that that might create. Um, I thought about um, the opportunities in public places for us to be listening carefully to those we're with and not being distracted by those around us. Um, I thought about the way that we learn in school. Much of what we're learning is through our ears. We're hearing. We're listening. We're writing down what we're hearing. We're writing down what we've processed. And we must listen carefully and closely for that to make a difference. You know, no, none of us really enjoy hanging out with people that don't listen to us. Maybe you do. That's really weird. But we, we don't generally like that because we want to be heard. And in order for us to be good friends, we want to listen to others and to have them be heard. That's, that's kind of core to our life. But it's so common that maybe we don't remember that or think about that often. Jesus, in this passage today, is going to emphasize how important it is that we hear. And not just that we hear, but how we hear. Right? People hear you, but are they listening? People listen to you, but do they do what you said? Do, is there any kind of follow-up? This is kind of what we want to talk about today because um, we have ears and the sound waves make their way into our ears, but that, is not, that does not mean anything unless we process, unless we listen, unless we act. And that is basically the essential point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen carefully and do something about it. Listen carefully and do something about it. So very briefly, we're in Luke chapter 8, but back in Luke chapter 7, where we've been in the past couple of months, we saw Jesus heal the servant of a Gentile, a Roman centurion. And what's interesting is that back in chapter 7, Jesus marveled. In Luke, Luke uses that, that word more than any of the gospel writers, that, that people marveled, that people were amazed. We see that throughout the Christmas story. We see that throughout the rest of his gospel. But in chapter 7, Jesus is the one who marveled. Jesus marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion. He's, there's this faith that this Roman centurion said, you don't even need to come to my house. I believe you. I believe you can heal from a distance. And Jesus did. Jesus said he had not seen faith like that in all of Israel. Uh, the next story in chapter 7, Jesus raised a dead boy back to life at his own funeral. A, a dead person being taken out to their grave, not able to hear Jesus spoke words to a dead person, and the dead person came to life. What power. And then we saw John the Baptist wavering faith in Jesus, and Jesus reinforcing his faith. And then uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a sinful woman demonstrate her faith by washing Jesus' feet with tears 
and precious ointment, even though it would have been a publicly shameful thing to do. And last week, we also saw that there were several faithful women who were counterculturally a driving force behind Jesus' ministry. They, they helped pay for his ministry. They followed Jesus and his itinerant ministry, which is very, very unusual and looked down upon. And after all this, the talk of faith in chapter 7 and the first few verses of chapter 8, now in chapter 8, Jesus gets to what the response is. What is the response? The word has been going out. We've seen stories of faith. We've also seen some of the Pharisees and scribes who are disbelieving Jesus, who are discounting Jesus, who are not believing. And now we see a very explicit call to respond. This is very important as we come to the parable of the soils. Uh, traditionally, it's known as the parable of the sower. Um, but the sower really plays very little role in the parable, and it's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable are what kind of soils and what do they, what do they produce. Uh, the sower is sowing seed indiscriminately, as we'll see. And what really matters is the soil. So perhaps the parable is of the seed in the soils. The parable of the seed in the soils. And this is going to help Jesus kind of explain to his disciples why, if Jesus has been teaching so powerfully and so clearly, are some believing and some not believing? Why are some accepting his message and why are some rejecting? It's not a different message. It's the same message. So Jesus is going to help his disciples and us think about what that means. He's also preparing his disciples for chapter 9. If you want to cheat and look ahead, in chapter 9, Jesus sends his disciples out on a short-term mission trip. They're about to do what he's been doing. So he's preparing them for the response. I just Can you imagine hanging out with Jesus day after day, seeing these amazing things, being a part of these amazing things, being handpicked by Jesus to be a follower of his, and then him sending you out? Now, now you go do what I've been doing. Maybe some fear and trepidation, maybe in the eyes of some, maybe perhaps like Simon Peter, maybe some braggadocio, some, some conf- overconfidence, going to go out there and change the world. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for a mixed response. And of course, this is helpful for us as well, because we have mixed responses to our message, to this very same message, to our lives being lived. Now, some people are repelled and, and reject our beliefs and our worldview, and others are attracted to it. This is a very helpful thing for us to consider in our day. So let's get into it. Point number one in your notes. Point number one in your notes is Jesus' parables use portraits of everyday life to teach a spiritual truth. Jesus' parables use portraits of everyday life to teach a spiritual truth. Now that the people of Jesus' day were in his context. They were just like him. He was just like them. They had the same shared life experience. And so the parables that Jesus tells uh, make sense to them. Uh, they don't make as much sense to us. Um, how many of you have a garden? Okay, some of you. How many of you consider yourself a gardener? <laughs> okay, a few of you are good enough to, to claim that mantle. Okay, how many of you are farmers? All right, we got a farmer. Good. Okay, this is very foreign to us as a culture. We, we don't walk by every day and consider we don't walk out to our fields every day this doesn't dominate our life like it did theirs and so there's this interesting thing when we study parables is that the parables that jesus told oftentimes were short they were punchy they were controversial because he shared a life context with the people he was telling it to we're removed from that and so it's almost like explaining a joke right when you tell a joke and the 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 face doesn't and then you explain the joke and it's no longer and not funny anymore. <laughs> totally missed it, right? And so it's almost like when we were explaining parables that, that we're kind of like explaining the joke. And so there's a danger in explaining the parable, which is why I'm glad I already read it through, um, just to, to get it out there. But we're going to wrestle with this. In fact, we're going to wrestle with it the rest of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke has um, the most parables of any of the Gospels. In fact, it has, I think, 15 unique parables that are not found in Matthew, Mark, or John. So think of the great, uh, the good Samaritan. He's a pretty great guy. But the good Samaritan, um, the prodigal son, okay, some of these well-known parables only appear in the book of Luke. So we are actually preparing today for a lot of parables to come in the book of Luke. So what is a parable? Well, if you open about seven books, you'll probably get about ten answers. 
So I, I, I picked a definition that I liked, um, and it was this. A parable is a literary device that uses common events or everyday cultural practices to clarify or emphasize a spiritual truth. A parable is a literary device that uses common events or everyday cultural practices to clarify or emphasize a spiritual truth. And about 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is, uh, comes from parables. So a significant chunk of Jesus' teaching comes across in this form. So, as we look at the parable of the soils, we need to keep in mind a few things. And I have um, just a few things to say about unhelpful ways to interpret parables and helpful ways to interpret parables. So just really briefly, Jesus almost never explains his parable. He almost never explains it. He leaves it out there. Now, the one we read today, he actually does explain And we know from Matthew and Mark that the reason he does that is to kind of give his disciples a paradigm to how to interpret the rest of the parables that he is going to to give. And so that helps us too. So we look at this and say, okay, this is one of the few that Jesus actually explains. I need to pay extra attention so that when we get to other of Jesus' parables, we know how to interpret them from Jesus. The history of the church is a scattered history of crazy uh, interpretations of parables. Because some people have mixed together these two things. Don't confuse parables with allegory. Okay, now allegory, generally the allegory that, that we reference in the church is the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the famous work by Mr. Bunyan um, long ago. And the thing that's different about an allegory is an allegory um, derives its meaning from all of the characters and the places and the things that happen. They all have these little meanings. And so it's very clear in Pilgrim's Progress when his name is Christian. Huh, I wonder who that represents. When we find Mr. Worldly Wise, we don't really have to think too hard about who Mr. Worldly Wise represents. Uh, in a parable, we're not looking at every single detail and trying to figure out who it's referring to or what it's referring to. That there's an interesting uh, example from church history that if we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, Um, that the church father, St. Augustine, who did a lot of good things, he just probably wasn't a very good uh, parable interpreter, looks at every single little detail in the parable of the Good Samaritan to mean something. The inn stands for something. The oil stands for something. The road stands for something. The the money that the Good Samaritan gives stands for something. And and, and then we lose the, the meaning of the story by trying to find individual meanings in every little character. Okay, so don't do that. When you're, don't, don't ask unnecessary questions of the parable. And don't ask questions the parable is not meant to answer. And we get some of that help with Jesus, how he explains the parable today. And then also a, a helpful thing, or an unhelpful way to interpret a parable is to get buried in the debates about background and historical context, well, which I did over the past few days, just buried in. Well, this guy said this in 1897 about the yield of grain in the Palestine, in Palestine area. But in 1973, they actually did a study in... Wow, okay, maybe some help there, but don't get lost in all of that. Don't get lost. If we can't understand the parable as it stands, okay, then then we have a problem, right? Because so many people in church history didn't have the, the kind of background commentaries that we have, the kind of research that we have, and we do expect that they weren't, oh, those poor Christians, they just couldn't understand parables like we can. No, no, no. We don't, don't do that. Don't get buried in those debates. You know, a helpful way to interpret parables is to think about what ended response is. Jesus is not telling a parable to hear his own voice. Jesus is telling a parable to elicit a response. Jesus is oftentimes telling a, a parable to somebody, the scriptures say. So we even saw that with Simon the Pharisee, who um, Jesus tells a, a parable to try to get him to see what's right in front of his eyes. That is the intended response of the parable, and that helps us understand the meaning. As we look at parables, generally there is one overarching meaning, or perhaps one meaning per main character. This is what we're looking at when we look at parables. We also see in today's parable that there's a sower. He is the character. He's not the main character, but he's the only human character in the parable. Look at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. 
Jesus is setting the context, and the context would have been very easily understood by those people. Everybody knew or was a sower who went out to sow his seed in the field. Generally, in the late fall or early winter, this happened. And oftentimes, the, uh, the sower would have a bag draped over his shoulder and would have the seed, and it's called a broadcast method because you're broadly casting the seed across your field. All right, and, and this is kind of just helping us understand uh, what's going on here. As Jesus told this story, we're not exactly told this in the Gospel of Luke, but in Mar- Matthew and Mark, we actually see that he is near the Sea of Galilee as he's telling this story, and he's surrounded by water, which is helpful for planting. So very likely there would have been farms visible as Jesus was telling the story. Here is traditionally the Cove of the Sower. Um, This is from the Sea of Galilee, very near Capernaum. And actually, uh, the next picture shows some people sitting on rocks listening to a speaker that you can't even see down by the water because he's so tiny. But if you wait for no buses or cars to go by, (laughs) you can still today hear someone speaking down by the water, just speaking in a slightly elevated voice, and hear them very clearly in this natural amphitheater which explains to us in verse 4 how Jesus could be speaking to large crowds without a microphone. (laughs) Jesus is teaching this, and as he teaches, you can see the lake and the greenery around. Now let's look at the parable. The sower goes out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. The first seed... Of course, we understand this to be many seeds, but the first seed falls along the path. And there were paths uh, inside of fields, on the perimeter of fields, right, to help the person get around, to have a road for the ox, perhaps, or the donkey to move, for people to go from field to field. And so some of the seed falls along the path. Here's just a very helpful example from the land of Israel. Here's a path in between fields. So some of the seed fell along the hard-packed path. It's not regularly been tilled, okay? It's not been plowed. There's some debate as to whether it might have been plowed up later, but the fact is it fell on hard soil. The next seed that Jesus talks about falls on the rock. And and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, don't think of a field filled with rocks. Think of a field of dirt, a very small layer of dirt over bedrock, Okay, this is often the case um, in the land of Israel. There's rock everywhere. <laughs> There's rock everywhere. It's why they built with it. Um, it's why they didn't build with trees very often because there were no trees. <laughs> um, there may be a seemingly good piece of land, and just underneath the surface is, are not rocks like pebbles, right? But like rock, bedrock, limestone underneath. That is what we're to understand here. And it cannot grow. The seed that falls there can, can grow. It grows up, but it doesn't grow for long. The third place is that some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Check out some of these thorns. You can kind of see there that some of these um, weeds have flowers. You know that some weeds can be beautiful for a little while, right? Oh, look at that! It's a beautiful flower. No, it's a weed, right? The gardeners know which one is which. And here are some purple flowers, but those are those are weeds and thorns. And they are everywhere, and this is actually in Galilee, and they grow up and they choke out the chance of anything else to grow along with it. Some of you who do seriously garden um, know you can't just let things go. You have to be active because this is what's going to happen if you're not careful. So the thorns choke them out. And then lastly, the fourth seed falls into good soil. And, and the good soil is, is represented here. Here's the Sea of Galilee, and here is just some astonishingly good soil for uh, seed, for farming. Even today, that there are so many uh, farms and fields near the Sea of Galilee um, that just grow extensively. Um, there are some places there that have just incredible uh, yield. Like, they just are really, really good fields for growing um, anything, really. Wheat, barley, and other crops. And so this is the context of what Jesus is saying, and, and it's just understandable because all they would have had to do is look at Jesus and look around, and they would have seen what he's talking about. So why is Jesus telling this story? At the end of verse 8, he sa- as he said these things, he called out, um, he shouts, he yells, he raises his voice, 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus shouts out to the crowd something that is echoed in the rest of Scripture and has some precedent in the Old Testament. And the people there would, not, would, would have understood what he was saying. They didn't say, oh, do I, oh, I have ears. Oh, okay, I can hear. He's not saying a simplistic uh, thing. He's saying, if you can hear, you better hear. Um, one, uh, one of the versions of the Bible that I really like, the NET, basically says, um, let, who, who, who one who has ears had better listen. Listen up. Carefully listen to what is being said. Now, most of the parables in the Gospels, that's it. There's the parable. Now it's the time for the hard work to interpret it. Now, this parable, Jesus explains. So, look at verse 9. We'll move into point number 2. Jesus' parables both reveal and conceal. Jesus' parables both reveal and conceal. So the disciples asked him what the parable means, which immediately shows us that though they understand the context, they're still searching for exactly what the par- what's the point of the parable? What's the point of the seeds? What's the point of the soil? What are you, what are you getting at, Jesus? And so they ask Jesus this, and he answers them. He says to them. And the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, seem to lead us to believe that this may have been just after Jesus taught, and Jesus was with his disciples away from the vast crowds and tells his disciples what the parable means. He does not then say to the entire crowd, and now let me explain to you what I just said. He's explaining to a smaller group, to his followers. And here we see that he just explains it pretty straight up. But first in verses 9 and 10, he gives them a little commentary saying that to you, which is emphasized in the Greek, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. What a startling statement. To you, fisherman, to you, tax collector, to you, it's been revealed. You have the privilege. Not everybody gets this privilege. You have the privilege of knowing the secrets of the kingdom of God. Jesus is letting them in on a secret. This, this word in Greek is musterion. It's where we get the word mystery from. Um, and it's not talking about Jesus being some kind of magician who's like revealing something. Ha <laughs> ha! Okay? He's not, he's not making a magic trick. He's, he's revealing something that has been true, is true, and will be true, but was not fully revealed. That's what's happening in the New Testament, right? Jesus is not going, ah, the Old Testament's a bunch of trash. I'm going to throw it all away. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, and he's showing what was meant. He's fulfilling it. He is making it full, right? He is showing exactly what was said in the past and now clearly being said in the present time. So Jesus tells him, you guys are privileged to know this. And and because we are uh, spiritual descendants of the apostles, we have this privilege too. You, Christian, have the privilege to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah, well, he paraphrases Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And there's lots of debate about exactly what that means. Uh, But essentially, there's a principle throughout Scripture that he who accepts God's word and trusts God will be given more ability to further trust God more. And then we'll be given further ability, and it's it's this, this thing where it begins to multiply. And we see that with people in our lives who have been faithful to God's word for decade after decade after decade. They just drip with biblical wisdom because they are given more because of their acceptance of God's word. However, there's also a reciprocal thing. For those who reject God's word, they're not only just rejecting it out of hand, but they become hardened. And they, became, they become more hardened. And they become more hardened to God's word. And they are under judgment. And so Jesus is saying, listen, some of you get to get to figure this out, not so that we can go, ha ha ha, we know it and you don't. <laughs> because the whole point of chapters 8 and chapter 9 is that they're going to go out and tell everybody, we know a secret, now we're going to tell you. This is good news. And then Jesus explains the parable. Verse 11, he says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Thank you, Jesus, that's helpful. <laughs> The seed is the word of God. Good. Now we know what the seed is. And so the picture of the sower sowing the seed becomes more clear. 
Um, it's not really that important that we say, aha, the sower is Jesus. It's kind of clear that the sower is Jesus, but the sower then becomes the disciples, and the sower then becomes you and me as we sow God's word. This is a, a metaphor that's used in the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament. God is said to sow Israel into his field. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Peter talks about the seed analogy, um, that some workers in God's field plant, some workers water, but God brings the growth. So this is a common uh, picture that is, that is used in Scripture. So the seed's the word of God, and then Jesus begins to show what happens to the four seeds and what they represent. So it's interesting that for the path, the rock, the thorns, and the good soil, Jesus uses four different prepositions. Oh, here we go. Grammar. Yes, grammar. This is really important. Four different prepositions that really help us understand. So if you'll notice, the seed falls along the path. Okay? The seed falls on the rock. Those are two different things. Okay? And the seed falls among the thorns. But the seed falls into the good soil. You see that? So the the seed is received differently by the different soils, by the different ground. So when the seed falls along the path, it doesn't have any place to go. And the birds of the air that come and eat it up are representative of the devil coming and taking away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And here we're reminded of the power of the devil. I think sometimes we have two opposite problems in the church is one, we don't think about the devil at all. And he's kind of like some weird guy with horns and a tail and a weird red trident. And he shows up in Farside comics. Um, And that's about the extent. And then the other side is really just fear of the devil and, and overthinking it and just being obsessed with the occult and the supernatural. And and I think that we need to find a, a, a middle ground there because Satan is powerful. He's taking away the seed so that they, those may not believe. This is representative of a heart that's kind of disinterested. There's no spiritual sensitivity. Uh, it's just, it's hard. It's hard packed. Um, and then the devil is easily able to come along and take away God's word from their hearts. The ones that are on the rock, this, 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 the sea or the people that are now represented by the rock, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Wow, that's a great message. Wow, that's, that's good news. That's exactly what we want them to do when they hear this. However, the problem here is that they have no root. They believe for a while, in a time of testing, they fall away. There's nothing to keep, keep them anchored. We sang that this morning, that the word of God is the anchor. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. These, this, this seed has no anchor, right? It's like one of those things in your garden where you go and you just, you go, oh, I'm going to pull this out. And oh, okay, well, that had no root. That was easy. Right? It's not one of those ones you just got to really get after and get a tool for. This is just, ah, there's nothing there. One hard thing happens, one trial, and, it's, and, and these people fall away. This soil represents just a superficial acceptance of God's word that does not take root. How many of us know people like this? How many of us were people like this? How many of us are people like this? Because the hard times are coming. The hard times are coming if they're not here already. And this reminds us that we, we must be rooted deeply into good soil or else when the hard times come, we will fall away. The seed that falls among the thorns... Um, shows you that the thorns are already there and the seeds are trying to kind of got to try to filter down through the thorns into the soil and they they grow um they hear the word but afterwards they're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature i think among the thorns is uniquely the american problem we are wealthy we're surrounded by all kinds of cares and riches and pleasures. They're available to us because of our wealth. And we have so many distractions. And this is perfectly illustrated by the thorns choking out the seed. The seed is planted, the seed grows, but it cannot get anywhere because it's being choked out by the thorns. This is our 
main problem. The main problem is that we're surrounded by so many other things. In fact, we're surrounded by so many other good things that oftentimes we forget what the best thing is. How many of us have seen people not defy Jesus and walk away, but drift slowly, priorities slowly change, things start to become more important and all-consuming? That is what this soil represents. And it doesn't happen all at once. Notice that this is kind of more of a gradual thing. The trial comes along for the rock, and boom, that plant's gone. But this is more of a slowly choking out. It's when you walk by your garden and you go, oh, I got to take care of that. And I forget to take care of it. And you walk by the next day, oh, I need to take care of that. And eventually, not taking care of it, you walk out and go, where did it go? Well, it didn't just disappear. It was slowly choked out. This is what happens to us. Thousands of little decisions mean whether or not we're going, growing closer to God or whether or not we are drifting, 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 drifting away. The fruit does not mature. It's, it's, it's yucky, yucky, immature fruit that doesn't, didn't quite make it. And then Jesus says in verse 15, that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, check out this phrase, hold it fast. This, this is a, 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 an adhesive. They, they, they stick to it. They cling to it. This is the picture of someone who perseveres. In fact, there's basically three things said about the person that is represented by the good soil. All right? This person has an honest and good heart, which Luke, Luke uses this phrase because this is a very common phrase in the Greek world. Someone would be um, an honest and good-hearted person. Um, this is very common. And so um, Luke is using this for his Gentile audience to hear and say, yeah, okay, I know, I know what an honest and good-hearted person has looked like, looks like, but that person holds then God's word fast. Not loosely, but, but grips God's word and the message that he has and then bears fruit with patience. Bears fruit with patience. How many of you have a fruit tree? Anybody have fruit trees? Okay. Um, you would be foolish, would you not, to walk out um, to your backyard and go, what is wrong with this tree? It's only got little lemons on it. Cut it down and get it out of here. Oh, you got to be patient. You got to tend to the tree. Maybe you need to do some pruning. It's going to take a while. Did you forget to water it last week? Has it rained in Southern California? No. Okay. Right? This is, this is patiently bearing fruit. This is not spectacular. This is slow faithfulness. 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 Oh, hey, look. We got some oh, this is good fruit. This is really, really good fruit. How many of you have planted a fruit tree recently and you're not expecting any fruit for a while? Right? It's, it's going to come maybe in a little while someday. If I take care of it. Yeah, that's, that's the picture here. And then what we have seen back in the original parable is that the yield is a hundredfold. Now, this is where some uh, scholars will see this and say, this is stupid. This is, Jesus is just, this is out of control. No, there's no such thing as a hundredfold yield. And there's two responses to that. One is, it's a story. And so it may be hyperbole. It may be um, exaggeration for effect, right? Not that Jesus is, is, you know, lying, but that he's using this incredible growth to show the promise of the good soil. Now, there's also some evidence that sometimes with the exact right conditions, you can get a hundredfold yield in certain places. In fact, that picture of the uh, Sea of Galilee with the fields next to it, there has been some evidence there that they've gotten right around a hundredfold yield in some of those fields, which is incredible because usually it's around around seven to twelve times. That's about that's about it. So this is an incredible yield. What is the point? The point is that in the right soil, God's word can burrow down and have explosive fruit and growth over time. Okay, but in the end, having this explosive growth. It's like when you watch um, something on Discovery Channel and they do the uh, time lapse of something growing. 
Right? The only reason they do that is because you can't watch for days and days and days to watch it grow, right? <laughs> they have to do time lapse so you can see it. Whoa, it's sprouting. It's incredible. And that's kind of um, what is, is being said here is that the fruit can grow like that. This is an incredible promise. Now, the, the important thing to see as we get here is that we've got several easy application points for us to make. Listen, if we are Christians, we're sowing the seed. So what, what should we expect? We should expect mixed results. Now, listen, this is not being a pessimist. Okay? This is being a realist. This is understanding a world of sin that we live in, the awesome ability of the human heart to reject God and turn away from him, and is an expectation that God does, can, and will work when the seed is sown. This is a realistic view for us to take. And this means that we don't get too high when there is a great response to God's word, and we don't get too low during the dry times. We trust that as we sow the seed, God will be faithful to bring in the harvest. And then a question that should be obvious at the end of Jesus' explanation of the parable is what kind of soil am I? I mean, Jesus is setting it up very easily for, oh man, what soil am I? Am I the path? Am I, am I the seed among thorns? And this is something that we ought not to just go, well, of course, I'm in church today, so I'm in the good soil. <laughs> Are you? I mean, have there been people that have sat in these same seats in the years gone by that thought the same thing? Let's be, let's be careful before we jump to conclusions and really examine our hearts. Because the good thing is that a parable okay, is not restrictive in that, well, I'm the seed among the thorns. I guess I can't be anything else. That's taking the parable too far because the rest of what we see in Jesus' ministry is that hard hearts are softened. We see that sometimes after years and years, hard hearts are softened. Listen, the only people that God saves are sinners. So there are always times when things look like they're all lost, like there's no hope, of course, because God's saving sinners. He's not saving good people and going, darn, I can't save those bad people. The only people worth saving are bad people. So this is good news for us. We should go away from this today asking what kind of soil we are, and then we should look around our families, we should look around our homes, our neighborhoods, and consider what this means for us. Point number three, these last three verses, 16, 17, and 18, are hard. (laughs) These are hard. You should mull on these this week. You should go over these. Jesus' teaching revealed the truth, and our response brings blessing or judgment. Jesus' teaching revealed the truth, and our response brings blessing or judgment. Jesus seems to go from a hearing metaphor to a seeing metaphor back to a hearing metaphor really fast. So this is why this gets a little bit difficult. But verse 16, he uses the picture of lighting a lamp. And it sounds a lot like, if you grew up in church, this little light of mine, right? Hide it under a bushel. There we go, good. Okay, yeah. This is, this is, this is very similar to the wording in Matthew chapter 5, but Jesus tweaks the wording here a little bit. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. By the way, here's, this might look familiar from those of you that were working on living nativity. This is very uh, common uh, oil lamp in the time of Jesus. Let's go to the next picture. There's a jar, right? Nobody puts that little lamp inside of a jar if they hope for it to do any good, okay? It's not going to do any good. Well, it might reflect up. No, 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 hold on. The point here is that you don't put a, a light inside of a container, Okay, you also don't put under a bed for a couple of reasons. One is that it's a huge fire hazard, <laughs> okay? And the other is that unless you're looking for something under the bed, the light does no good, right? Jesus is saying something obvious, but he's trying to get us to see something. But he puts it on a stand. Show that. There, there, now, here's two options. One is kind of a little cleft in the wall that puts the light up and puts it close to the wall so it shines up the wall, or they also had um, lamp stands like this in which you put the oil in and it's higher up off the, the ground and so it lights up the room a lot better, okay? So the picture is very easy. It's very simple for them to see. And so Jesus says, um, you want it to be seen. You want the light to be seen. Verse 17, for nothing is hidden 
that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And I think what's being said here is not exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, right? You are the light of the world, okay? Shine as a light so that others may see God's glory, right? That is a very, that, that, that is the application in Matthew 5, but Jesus kind of tweaks it here, I think. And I think he's speaking of his light, um, illuminating and uh, illuminating like the secrets and illuminating and making plain and clear what his message is. So that as you walk into Jesus' room, it's well lit that you can understand and see the message. The, the, the trouble is we've gone from a hearing metaphor to a seeing metaphor. And then verse uh, 18 or 17 and 18 kind of jerk us right back. But I think the, the overall point here is that um, Jesus has come to be a light, to reveal the truth. And then as the truth is revealed, we have a responsibility to respond. We have a responsibility to see, and then the metaphor changes, and we have a responsibility to hear. So as the light illuminates the room, Jesus' words illuminate the truth. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. There were, there were mysteries, there were secrets, there was, we didn't fully understand what was going on, which is part of the reason Jesus comes, because he's the light of the world. And he begins to, to say, this is what the Old Testament was pointing to. I am what the Old Testament was pointing to. As Jesus does this, the responsibility falls on those to hear rightly and to respond. That is the takeaway. How will you respond? You're sitting in this room with God's word open to you. Now you have a responsibility to respond. You have incurred stricter judgment by coming in today if you don't respond. God's word is clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came at Christmas to become man because we needed a rescue. Jesus rescues us by keeping the law, by dying on the cross in our place for our sins, even though he committed no sin. And then he rose from the dead three days later. That's true. That is not a fairy tale. It is true. Jesus rose from the dead. Witnesses saw him. Witnesses wrote about him. That's why we have the New Testament. Now you must repent and believe. That is the required response. Please do not hear this and push it off. Hear and respond because what is promised is great fruit. And Jesus ends in verse 18 by saying to this, and this is what we need to end with. Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Carefully listen and then apply. One scholar said, understanding means more than intellectual comprehension. It requires submitting to the word in one's heart. It does no good for you to say, that's true, and tomorrow morning completely violate it in the way you live your life. All that does is bring judgment on yourself. What we do is we, we hear this and we say, Lord, I believe it. Help me to respond. So how do we respond? Village, we've got to saturate ourselves in God's word. Saturate ourselves in God's word. Marinate ourselves in God's word so that we taste like God's word. Read God's word. Meditate on God's word. Discuss God's word. Do it at lunch today. Listen to God's word on your commute while you're exercising. While you're brushing your teeth, for goodness sake. Pray God's word. Sing God's word. Memorize God's word. Apply God's word. Trust God's word. As we celebrate communion now, at the end of our service, we, we see the application of this. And we're about to, to distribute um, the, the bread and the cup. And we need to be careful that we hear Jesus in his judgment. Jesus is not a soft teddy bear. Jesus is one who speaks hard truths so that hard hearts will be softened. And Jesus said through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that 
if we don't examine ourselves before we partake in this memorial, that we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. So we ought to be careful. But the promise is that by doing this, we together, we don't do this by ourselves. We're not giving, handing the elements out and you go stand in a corner and do it. We all do it together because we're all proclaiming Jesus' death until he comes. We're proclaiming to any visitors today that we don't take this lightly. Oh, a cracker. Yeah, I mean, the cracker doesn't taste good, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is for us to remember. The point is for us to remember what Jesus has done for us. So the cracker represents, it's broken in pieces. And you're going to get one piece of it. And it represents the broken body of Jesus. And, and the juice is, is grape juice. Don't spill it. It will look like blood on purpose. Okay, because Jesus' blood was shed for the remission of our sins so that we might have forgiveness. And it's tactile. We taste it. We touch it. It is a living parable that reminds us of what Jesus did. It's an acted out parable that we do together. So listen, if you're, if you're not a Christian, just let the elements go by. Just observe what we're doing. Don't eat and drink judgment on yourself. And Christian, we're going to give you time. While Joshua plays and sings, you have time to get right with God, to examine your heart, to ask God to judge. 1 Corinthians 11 says, if we judge ourselves, we come out clean every time. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. But if we allow God to judge us, then we have right judgment. So that is both a warning and a blessing for us as we partake. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to um, participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. We know that because you sent Jesus, you will do anything for us because you've done everything for us. And so we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. We remember that the tomb is empty because Jesus bodily is at your right hand right now, interceding for us. And Jesus, we know that you watch with joy as we remember what you've done for us. So help us now as we soberly yet joyfully examine ourselves and remember what you've done, that we might hear carefully, that we might listen carefully to what you have said to us, to what your word says. So Lord, now bless us as we partake together. In Jesus' name, amen.